where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is the Solar Side Anthology, Nova Parade. A little bit about Solar Side. Solar Side is all about writing, dark and dangerous writing, the seedy underbelly of literature. There's a wealth of great work out there, books, journals, and e-zines alike, but too few people read this stuff. Our goal is to help bring the material to people's attention and help promote the good writers that battle for exposure in a vast and shitty ocean of celebrity autobiographies. The intention is to create an ever-expanding compilation of links to authors' blogs, to e-zines, and to other useful resources around the internet in the hope that we might save a few people from taking as long as we did to stumble across these places. Hey, you know what I was thinking when you were reading that is, how about we do a whole month where we do nothing but review celebrity autobiographies? I'll do it. Really? Yeah, why not? <laughs> how about we do one celebrity autobiography now that I shoved my foot right in my mouth? Yeah, well, yeah, we're going to have to do at least one because you said that. Yeah, because those are nonfiction, right? Yeah, well... Yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. A little bit about the book itself, also drawn from the Solar Side website. Nova Parade is a festival of theatrics, an offering to two of the great powers of art, tragedy, and comedy. This anthology is a twisted helix of stories that will lead you on a journey through many strange landscapes. It will introduce you to characters you will adore and to characters that will appall you. These are stories to be read beneath a dying sun. There are ghosts, monsters, there are jesters, and there are nightmares. There's sex, drugs, and there's violence. Horror and hilarity, bizarro and sci-fi, and all kinds of transgressive voodoo. There's a whole lot of great fun. This collection will wound you, but hey, then it will make you laugh. It's a Nova Parade, baby. Let's ride this carnival all the way to the sun. Let's kill the bastard. I don't know if you gave enough emphasis to the it's a Nova Parade, baby part. <laughs> <sighs> you know, I. Do you, what's with the sun killing? Like, the sun's good, right? My, I, you know, science isn't my strong suit. Yeah, well, I mean, it is called Solar Side, so I think they're kind of, you know, they kind of have to go for that. If they're going to call themselves Solar Side, they have to go for that whole sun murder thing. Okay, if you say so. But the sun going away is a bad thing, right? I think that that it would be, because otherwise, I don't like taking vitamin D supplements, and I don't want to be all depressed. And also, have I'd like to have food. <laughs> there you go. All good reasons. So. All right, so the book we're reading tonight, or we read for tonight, is an anthology. And so uh, typically what we do when we're, we have read an anthology and we're telling you about it uh, is Livius and I will both pick our top three uh, stories that we liked out of the anthology and kind of just talk about them really quickly. And then just some general discussion from there. But uh, Livius and I, as usual, have kind of overlapped a little bit, but we, we talked it through. And so we're going to have each of us is going to have three different stories to talk to you about tonight. We didn't overlap as much as we normally do. I think we really only had the one, the one. We had to debate the one story a lot, right? Yeah. Which is good because I always worry when we pick the same three stories, you know, are really close together. You know what that says about the rest of the stories if we don't have like a wealth of stuff to pick from. So here we had a lot to go with. Yeah. So that's that's encouraging news, Solar Side. It is. So uh, do you want to kick it off? <clears throat> Sure, and and this is going to be a little bit of a departure because I think traditionally every time that we've talked about an anthology or a collection of stories, um, Livius has talked about the book den- book ending stories, either the first or the. Did you hear that? Every time I say book now, booked naturally comes out. So uh, <laughs> it's like muscle memory. Uh, so Livius always talks about the the you know the front or the the back story um, because. 
and, and it makes a lot of sense. You you want to start strong, you want to end strong. That doesn't mean the stuff in the middle isn't strong, but those are really big points to you know make sure you get you catch the reader at the beginning of everything. So, first one I'm going to talk about is the first story in the anthology, which is Richard Thomas's story on a bent nail head. Now, uh, as as you saw in the or as you heard about in in the synopsis for the book, they mentioned tragedy and comedy. Now, Richard's story is definitely leaning <laughs> really heavily in the tragedy side. So, um, without going too much into the story, uh, it's a really sad tale about a young couple who is having trouble conceiving a baby and a look at what it does to their relationship. And it's just a very, very tragic, very tra- sad story that is just written incredibly, incredibly well. I agree. And one of the reasons we didn't... Um fight over this one is Rob had actually started reading it before me. That's the only story he read before I started the anthology, but, <laughs> and he had said how great it was. And I read it and couldn't agree more. It's a fantastic story. It's, um, it's, it's touching, but it's a lot more heartbreaking and even manages to be a little, um, chilling, I think is the right word too. So just a fantastic job. Um, a great story to start the anthology with, but again, it's kind of like, um, like cataclysm baby it just did immediately sunk my mood reading that like yeah. and i read like three or four stories in a row and it, it took three or four stories for me to get out of the funk that richard thomas's story put me in, which is a good thing because it was that emotionally you know gripping it's kind of a downer yeah so, that's the thing too like like olivia said i read just one story before he got rolling i read richard's story and then i i swear i left it i i didn't pick it up for two or three more days because Part of me was thinking, how do you follow that up? And part of me was trying to recover from it, <laughs> I think, because of just like the, the heavy emotion behind it. And I was like, I don't know if the whole book's going to be like this. This is going to be a little bit much. But um, uh, yeah, just, and I've read a, a handful. Of, I mean, we know Richard. We've hung out with Richard. We talked about him before on, on the podcast, and we've read a bunch of stuff he's done um, for a bunch of different things that we've talked about. And this is probably at the top of the list of stuff that, that I've read from him. It's, it's just a really very well put together story. Yeah, he does. He does sorrow. Well, what do you got? What's your first uh, jump in here? I am going to completely change the tone of this and talk about Bradley Sand's story. Giant monsters attack might be that that's about where I got when I did finally the sniffles went away from reading Richard's story, (laughs) but, um, uh, this is a story, and this, again, it's, it takes a little bit of a setup for you to kind of get the picture of what's going on here. The story is being told as a memo or a series of memos and emails to artists that are going to be working on a comic book. It's actually a comic book script. Yes. It's in, like, the comic, comic book script, script format. Yes, and it's yeah. with direction to the artists about, you know, here's what you need to do in these panels and stuff. So, yeah, it's, so it's the layout is completely different from any short story I've read. But it's it's a guy who's basically trying to explain his marital stories, story and issues um, through a comic book narration that features giant monsters. He's one of the giant monsters. His wife is one of the other giant monsters. (laughs) And it's basically a retelling of the fight that they had or his opinion of the fight that they had through a comic book. And it's sprinkled in with just really offensive <laughs> direction to the people who are going to be, I'm guessing, you know, drawing and inking the, the, the comic book itself. It's just fantastic stuff. Yeah. And 
Sans, we kind of know that his style is a little bit more in this. What did he do in uh, Warmed and Bound? It was the one about the soccer, soccer moms, moms. And dad, yeah. yeah, yeah, and Pearl Wrestler dads, and mm-hmm. like basically a riot at the soccer field. Um, he leans in this kind of like absurd, bizarro direction, and um, the I think the thing I liked the most about this story was um, how. <laughs> We kept talking about how rich and famous he was going to be because of this comic book. He was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the best. He's so the the person whose point of view you're seeing this through is just a big asshole. <laughs> He's just very conceited and very degrading to the people around him. And I think that what he really captured was a really great voice to do that in. There's no question throughout that 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 voice is coming from that character, and you understand who that guy is by like you know paragraph three you know who you're dealing with through the rest of the story. He does a great job of just continuing to follow through without missing a beat. Yeah, it didn't seem like he was too overly concerned about making you like the character. No. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said, you know, he leans in a kind of, you know, this odd way, and I was, I was going to jokingly say, you know, you could almost call his work bizarro. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yep. that's that's yeah. his thing. And, and I've yet to read a full full story but it's definitely on our list of things to keep an eye out for like a full book you know like a long long narrative yeah that's the thing he came on our radar uh kind of in the in the well in the warmed and bound time right yes absolutely. and so that was when our time was already being monopolized by tons and tons of books already but um on my kindle i have hang on rico rico slade will fucking kill you and sorry i ruined your orgy those are the two um, Bradley Sands pieces that I'm, I'm just looking for some free time to really read because I really enjoy his style. So, and like I said, hopefully at some point all the stars will align correctly and we'll be reviewing one of his books here on the show. Looking forward to it very much. Boom. All right. What do you got? What's up next? Is it another tear jerker? No, <laughs> nah, no. Okay. So the, the next one, I <laughs> yeah, the next one I'm going to uh, talk about a little bit is uh, a story called, Dreadlocks with a little trademark symbol uh, by Chester Payne. And this is kind of a futuristic story about a woman who wants to have a child who actually was kind of sold on the idea, it seems like, from like a door-to-door robot sales sales robot. <laughs> um, I was going to say salesman. And um, I, the, basically the story is she was kind of cheated on or whatever and doesn't trust men, but she wants to have a baby, so she goes through this kind of she gets essentially a giant sex toy that can impregnate her and uh, has a baby that way. And there's some weird side effects from this process and the product that she was using that are, yeah, it's a weird story, but it's just really good. I don't know. What do you think, Liv? Um, It was a very interesting and unique story. Um, One of the things that really grabbed me about that story was um, how logical some of Chester's thoughts on the process were. And I I found myself like kind of, I want to say chuckling in a funny way, but kind of chuckling at how realistic it seemed if you could accept the sex robot impregnating you. So I thought that, um, for example, there's a there's a part where she calls customer service in the in the story, and it's just like this customer service interaction that's the customer service interaction you'd have anywhere you called when you try (laughs) to tell them their product's faulty, right? You know, so I mean, he just managed to deliver a very real feel to a very unreal story, or at least unreal for our time. And one of the themes throughout the story is that everything is a product. Um, and a lot of things that are referenced through either a product or a service that have like uh, 
um, you know, trademark or copyright symbols next to them. And, and so it's like this mix of like futuristic consumerism and just, you know, yeah. How, seeing how that, how the daily life of a, of a person in, in like this futuristic society is with all this weird consumerism and, and everything. It's, it, it was just interesting. It's weird. Um, but it's just a very light read in it. And I, I liked what he did with it. Um, you said you have it queued up right on your, on yeah. your iPad. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you read the names of the sex dolls that you could <laughs> just from, from this, some of the sex dolls you could purchase from this company? Yeah, they had, um, so there was essentially two ways you could, uh, you could conceive, uh, I believe, right? You could either, mm-hmm. you could go with one of these sex dolls or you could get the, like a, a toy and kind of do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the sex dolls that she, that the, the main character mentions were Throblo, <laughs> <laughs> Red Pit, and, uh, Johnny Depth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean just the, the well-endowed just, johnny depth just great stuff yeah. so and like i said you know kind of chuckle but you know what that's i could see even just you know logging on to some sex toy place and finding those dolls today that's like i said kind of a very real feel to a very unreal situation mm-hmm. um it's good stuff there the do-it-yourself applicator is called the lap snake xl so yeah chester Payne uh went in kind of a weird direction but i really dug that story in keeping with that theme because we're so smooth in our segues all the time. Um, I also have chosen a story about making babies. And kind of similar in theme now that I think about it. I didn't really think about it when I read them, because they're not, you know, like right one on top of the... Uh, yeah, sorry. They're not right one on top of the other in the story. Um, Amanda Gowans, Charlotte and Jolene. Um, listeners of the show, no stranger to Amanda. Amanda is one of the best short fiction writers. Um, some of you may know I don't read or haven't read a lot of short fiction. My short fiction reading has gone up through the roof over the last year, um, and Amanda's easily one of the best, and she demonstrates that in Charlotte and Jolene, How to Make a Baby. It's, a, it's My notes as two girls who skipped sex ed plan on making a baby, and that's about as simple as I can put it. Um, uh, one of them wants to get pregnant, and they figure they can do this on their own, so they have a plan, and uh, you know, hilarity ensues. Yeah. I, I haven't. I have yet to be let down with Amanda's writing. She's just. I don't know what it is. She's got all this like really original thoughts and stuff. I mean that zombie thing she did uh, not not too long back that we talked about was you know just a different approach at zombies or at least like being in a zombie situation. I yeah. I just dig pretty much anything she throws at us. I dig. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I've read. Uh, I'd say six, seven short pieces by her, maybe more. And I have yet to be disappointed by one. And, and they're all so different in scope too, which is really impressive. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. We're very cool. Not to say anything more about that. That is what it is. Charlotte and Jolene, how to make a baby. Um, it's worth it just for the dialogue alone. All right. So I'm going to talk about my final s- story that I want to talk about tonight uh, is by Clint Rhodes and it's called attention, human resources. This, again, is a bit of a, a weird story. Um, essentially, it's about an office invite. It takes place in this office environment uh, from the perspective of one of the people that works there. And it's really, for the most part, is a story about these weird things that start happening at the office. Um, it starts out simply by, you know, someone being uh, exempted from, from going to a meeting for religious reasons, and then from there... Strange things aren't happening, like uh, these post-it notes start showing up on different 
machines in the office saying they're out of luck, or I mean, not out of luck, <laughs> out of order, but it's like in haiku form and stuff. And then the weirdness just kind of grows and grows from there. And, and um, I think the thing that draws me to it the most is just knowing how mundane and terrible an office environment could be and how exciting it would be to have things change that way. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of identified what was what with, with what was going on in that office environment and the twist, the way that he took it at the end, I didn't see coming at all. It was, um, it was something that it, it seemed like it was a big departure from what the rest of the story was doing. But at the same time, I thought it was a pretty satisfactory rendering. So overall, I really liked it as a story. Um, it was a very good story. Um, my the appeal it had for me were all of the little weird things that were going on in the office. Um, there's you know, someone puts a post-it note on the copier saying it doesn't work, and everyone stops using it. Nobody bothers to check to see if it works or not. That's fantastic stuff. Is that too spoilery? <laughs> Is that too spoilery? No, 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 not at all. Okay. Yeah, the you know voodoo doll and the things that go on with this little doll that they've kind of christened a voodoo doll, just fantastic. Just those little bursts of where what happens to this doll over the course of its short life, you know. I mean, it's just really, really good and well thought out stuff. So he's another one that we uh, I think we're going to have to keep an eye out for. An example of some of these out of order type of haikus, um, and it seems like he he lined them up so that they get progressively worse over time. But the first one. Uh, I think it was on a copier. It says, I duplicated once too often, copied this, my last toner breath. So, you know, pretty mundane, but cool that he wrote a haiku about a copier running out of toner. And it goes, you know, through five or, you know, four or five haikus. And then there's one that says, I'm a fucking piece of shit fax machine printer. Fucking throw my decrepit ass away already. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, yeah, just the mix of, of these notes and haikus and, like Olivia said, kind of the antics that go on in the office were uh, what made the story pretty cool. Agreed. All right, so um, the last one is actually the one that Rob and I had, <laughs> had to have a little discussion over, and Rob relented and gave me the story, which was very, very cool of him. Um, Chris Lewis Carter with Kill Screen. Uh, not a whole lot there when you read the title and I go into the story, and what it is, it's a guy who works in a... Um, pawn shop is a pawn shop, a used store of some sort. And a, a kid comes in and says, you know, I want to, I want to turn in this box and see what I can get for. It. And it's a bunch of crappy old software, which is great. Cause there were like AOL discs and stuff in there. So anybody who's been a computer user for several years, you know, vividly can picture what this box looks like. You probably had one at some point. Um, and it, uh, it turns out that there is a rare video game, um, at the bottom. He doesn't know it's rare. He just knows a lot about video games. Has never seen this. And I don't want to give away too much about the story, but at any rate, he goes ahead and puts his this video game into his computer, an old-school 8-bit, you know, Atari-like video game. And that's where the story really begins. Um, it is one of the best horror stories I've read in a really long time. And in the short form, easily one of, one of the best I've ever read. Yeah, I, I didn't want to give this story up because it was such a... I mean, what is it? Five or six pages is a pretty short story. Yeah, actually, it's closer to ten actually now that I'm looking at it. But um, creepy in just every way you want something to be creepy. I was reading this at night in my bedroom, and um, which is you know, it, it was a creepy story, and I read it in a, you know whatever a few minutes. Yeah, you know, just just kept on reading and everything. But then eventually, you know, this is like two in the morning, so the the, the whole house is dark. It's quiet outside and everything like that. 
Um, eventually, I had to, you know, go downstairs and grab a drink of water or whatever, and I'm <laughs> doing that stupid thing where I'm, like, looking around and everything, and I was, it, it had stuck with me because of just the way that he made it so, like, invasive into the main character's life. Uh, oh, God, it was just so creepy, and, and by virtue of the fact that we're reading it and identifying with the main character, you know, it's almost jumping into our life, so I, I was really creeped out by it. I thought he did a, just a wonderful job. We talked about this, you know, just before we recorded the episode as we were trying to figure out who's going to do this story. And, you know, I was sitting outside. It was probably two in the afternoon, bright sunlight, and I was creeped out. So I can't imagine <laughs> how I would have felt being in your setting when I read it. You know, me, it was like Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon. And I'm sitting outside reading and that's that I read this and it gave me chills. So, uh, again, I wish I could talk more about this story, but it's the kind of story you have to let unfold on its own. Um, you know, where some stories are, you know, are very dialogue driven or very comedy driven. You know, you could talk a little more this one. I think that it's, it's all wrapped up in what it needs to be. Um, we can't say more about it, but Chris Lewis Carter, congratulations. I don't get creeped out very easily. And in your kill screen definitely did that. Have you, um, did you ever play those like, uh, text, like turn, turn based kind of text games? Like I'm trying to think of what, um, the big I, one would be. I tried. I never got into them, but I know what they are. I did try playing them. They were just never really for me. Old school video game people who did those. I really wish I could think of the name of like the big one. There was like Zork. Zork. Maybe? That's the one. Is that one. Yeah. So yeah, I, after some speedy uh, internet research, Zork was the one I was thinking of. Is is a game from God? It's got to be late '80s, early '90s. It was just this text based like. Yeah, it tells you what you see, and then you give it a command, and it does what you tell it to. That type of thing. Uh, that's what this story is kind of, you know, in the in the spirit of. So, Infocom, Zork kind of fans, those type of games. Uh, if you were into that type of stuff, I think you'd really dig this story because it, it's a total homage to that type of a thing. 1977 to 1979 is when it was written. What? Oh my God. Yep. Yeah. Yep. See, there it is. So, I didn't know yeah. there were computers then. Commodore 64 was the platform for it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know what? I do remember. All right. Yeah. They get all geeky on computers. Talk about the TRS-80. Oh, the Zork 1 came out in 1980. Zork 2 in 81. 82 was Zork 3. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, they got to be on Zork like 60 by now. <laughs> Super Zork. Yes. Um, anyway, yes, I, I totally diverted from the fact. Uh, Chris Lewis Carter had a, a great story. If I had to nail down one story that I I liked the most out of this, apologies to everybody else who had wonderful stories, um, this one really sticks out as just being like a nice s- surprise and really, really well put together. I, I really hate, like, you know, Internet sayings that, that, you know, pop up. But the one thing that occurred to me when we were both talking about this earlier is that Chris Lewis Carter won this anthology. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. So um, with definitely some great stuff around it. But yeah, the, I, and I think part of it had to do with um, just really caught me off guard, I think, you know, and, and maybe that has a little something to do with it. I certainly wasn't expecting really a horror story based on the stuff I'd read up to that point. There was some weird stuff. But then straight up scary shit happened and awesome. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean. This thing really does. I mean, the the synopsis kind of 
says it's going to be all over the place with sci-fi and bizarro and mm-hmm. transgressive voodoo and everything and it, and it and it kind of delivers on that promise so richard thomas brings home this kind of creepy but really heartwarming tale uh bradley sands jumps to like these this monster comic book script um there's some really just kind of gritty stories like blue hawaii which is a, a recovering addict who hooks up with another addict and and stuff like that um so it is kind of um, oh, and one thing, Michael Gonzalez. Yeah, Michael Paul Gonzalez. I had is kind of my honorable mention. Um, this is just like this really sad tale of a. Uh, it's a uh, told from the perspective of like a girl who's obviously got a troubled past. She'd made some mistakes, and she's got a guilty conscience about and everything. And she meets up with this old entertainer guy who, you know, he he performed on the street for money. You can tell that's what he did, but he's in his eighties now and he's senile and he sees this woman and thinks that it's his old performance partner who had left him at some point. And so he keeps trying her to perform, trying to get her to perform with him, even though like, you know, it's, she's not a performer. And, uh, it's just so sad because you see this guy with a frontal frontal <laughs> with a frail mental state. Uh, and, and this woman who, you could see that she's in this state, in this point in her life where she's she's trying to make amends or, or start to do the right thing, and it's just really sad and gripping. Um, really, really good story. I agree. It was definitely a very, very good story. Um, the frontal. I think you went rail C. What was that guy's name? Rail C. <laughs> kept putting words together. The, the main character in that yeah. crap book. Yeah, that's you now. Frail mental. Frontal. <clears throat> frontal. So. Um, yeah, Gonzalez is good. I mean, there were there were a lot of a lot of fantastic stories in here. Um, I don't have an honorable mention story so much as an honorable mention title. Um, <laughs> King Neptune sucks off the world's largest potato! Exclamation point. So you know she's really serious about it by Nikki Gerling. Um, great story, but what a title to drop in in the middle of this uh, this middle of this anthology. Yeah, Nikki's great, and I really dug that story too. So we should. Uh, I have a couple of quotes. Um, Because I managed to read this on a traditional reader and was able to highlight and do all kinds of cool stuff. Um, So just a couple. I'm not going to. The problem with short stories is there's quotes in here I'd love to read. But then I'm reading you a portion of the short story, which is probably not a good thing Um, from Amanda Gowan's story that I mentioned earlier. This is just uh, the great visual is these two girls are sitting around planning this getting pregnant that or this impregnating (laughs) that they're going to do. And uh this is from the uh, the narrator. It's a uh, she thought this over, waving her hands in the air at invisible polished drying bugs. She just on her nails, and that's that's the line there, which is just such a great, such a great visual there, and one of the one of the things that makes Amanda a great writer. Yeah, yes, yes, I fully agree. Um, from the story uh, by Jay Slayton Jocelyn which is awkward, which has to be runner up for best title. Awkward mornings beat lonely nights is this line here. Actually, I have two lines from this one is a character is getting up in the, in the morning after an encounter he had the night before and he checks on his roommate and uh, he says, you know, watching them sleep for a minute, smoking my cigarette. Eventually, Kristen comes to find me following my ash trail like this is all some cancerous version of Hansel and Gretel. Fantastic stuff. And from my favorite slacker in this anthology, this other line, um, uh, he he goes directly to sleep, and he says, "In sex, as in life, I do the bare minimum required of me to get by." Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> so um, there's a guy who's way too lazy for, for even sex, just does the bare minimum. I thought that was great stuff there. Um, and I have one, one more, maybe two more. Oh, two of them from the same story from Nikki Gurlane's story. Um, to give you a sample of, of this, uh, this young lady's writing, totally no context required here. Besides, when confronted with the fact that something you are emotionally invested in doesn't actually exist, the best course of action is to hop right on another path, one as fucked up as possible. That's that quote. Now that you mentioned that, um, I, I was too lazy to, to do quotes this time. And it's not because I didn't like the stories or the quotes or anything. It's because I had a it's a PDF. Uh, we got an advanced copy from SolarSide and uh, it was a PDF. And I, I much like Jay Slayton Jocelyn's character was too lazy to uh, convert it into an EPUB so that I could make highlights of it. <laughs> uh, but that quote that Livius just read is just fantastic. And I think that like I want it on a T-shirt or something. It's fantastic. It is. It's an awesome quote. And it actually reminded me of, of the struggle that we were having on the last episode, me, you and Caleb, to come up with that concept that Paul and Nick was trying to drive home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it right there. But told it a kind of tongue in cheeky way. Um, and just another quick example of why I love her writing so much. Um, I'm not going to set this up, but there's an association made between unicorns and rainbows. And uh, the main character, the protagonist, says, Until then, I had never understood the association between unicorns and rainbows. I'd always assumed it was some mystical fetish in the same line as fat girls and glitter. Yep. Just love it. Yep, yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any quotes this time. Again, um, not that there wasn't quotable lines. It was just um, more more that I didn't have something that was easily easy to quote with. So I apologize, but I did read one of those haikus, two of those haikus. So I think that kind of counts. It does. It does. We're <laughs> going to start writing haikus about the podcast. <laughs> All right. All right. And uh, to go into wrap ups and ratings, I think I'll kick it off this time since Livius was doing the heavy lifting with all those quotes. Um, so Solar Side came out with this Nova Parade anthology uh, edited by Martin Garrity and Nathan Pettigrew. I don't think we mentioned that earlier. Um and yeah, it's about 25 authors. Uh, the thing that drew it to us, uh, it was first brought to our attention by Nikki Gerlain. We kind of looked over the table of contents, and it was a no-brainer. We saw a bunch of names that we'd seen before that we really liked. Richard Thomas, Bradley Sands, uh, Jeremy Robert Johnson's on there, Caleb Ross, uh, Jay Slate Jocelyn, Nikki Gerlain, Amanda Gowan. I mean, I could just go on and on. So to us, it was kind of an oh, Andre Bergen as well. So, you know, kind of an all-star cast. Um, I mean, obviously there's names we hadn't heard of before, but a lot of them we had. And so I was excited about the idea. Um, And, you know, these are people that we like to promote because we believe in them and we believe in the writing that they do. Um, I got through this in about two days with the exception of giving a couple days between reading Richard's story and going into the rest of it and dug it all the way through. In typical anthology form, you know, there's some stuff that works for me more than other stuff. Um, And by virtue of the fact that we're just a podcast, we don't have the chance to talk about every single story. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good story. Um, It's just, you know, we wanted to kind of focus on what we like the most. So, yeah, I dug it overall. The, The theme was a little bit broad. So it's not like... I, I know I go back to Cataclysm Baby, Matt Bell's thing, but it was all those post-apocalyptic fatherhood things. So you kind of knew what each story was going to bring you. Whereas this one, uh, in the synopsis, by definition, 
says it's going to be kind of all over the place. You're going to get sci-fi and bizarro and all this stuff. So I don't think that's really a drawback, though. The stories pretty much stand on their own. Um, there was a couple, you know, didn't work for me or whatever, but for the most part, I really dug all the stories and the authors. I liked it. I liked the fact that some of the stories I liked the most were by authors I hadn't read yet because that just, you know, broadens my horizons. I can go into these new authors and, and read, you know, just build my bookshelf, basically. So um, in my long, long-winded way, I'm trying to say that I really like this anthology. I thought it um, came together really well. Strong start, strong finish. The thing that Livius didn't mention is that kill screen is almost in the exact center <laughs> of the anthology. Uh-huh. So um, it, it's really nicely spread out. You know, this, you know, uh, of the not only the different types of stories, but you know, I think the layout uh, works out really well. We were talking with Pay Via about Warmed and Bound and how she laid it out almost like a story, and so layout after that kind of became something that I looked more at and. I think the way that they arrange these stories was done really well. So overall, I'm going to give this three and a half stars. I'm going to try to do a little bit shorter there. Um, again, a no brainer that we were going to do this. Um, the one thing I really, really agree with you about was that it was very refreshing that, um, I mean, let's, let's be honest, this could have very easily turned into, and just because we didn't mention them doesn't mean there weren't value there. Caleb Ross can't write a bad story as far as I'm concerned. You know, I mean, we're, but I was really afraid this was going to turn into like, you know, the laundry list of people that we already love. And I'm glad to find someone new to love. And I'm glad somebody else won the anthology. You know, I mean, it's nice and it's refreshing to find somebody else to follow. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Nikki Gurling brought to our attention. We first came across her in, in Search of a City, L.A. in a Thousand Words. And I've been following her writing since then, you know, so it's really nice to pick up somebody new to read. Um, yes, it was all over the place. Um, I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it hurt it. Um, we've had this conversation before is does a very thematically directional anthology work better than a non-directional? I don't know. You know, I still don't have an answer. I didn't uh, dislike this for the fact that it was all over the place. Would I have liked it more if it was all more directional? I don't know. It's really hard to say. What I do know is that there are quite a few stories that I enjoyed in here. And as Rob said, um, we haven't read an anthology where everything was 100% yet. Um, there have been a couple. Um, in every anthology, there's been a story or two at least that we're kind of like, I don't really get this or, or whatever. But overwhelmingly, the stories are very good. It is a little bit of a roller coaster ride between comedy and sadness and just flat out weirdness, you know, with a couple of, of authors that are really good at just doing weird, you know, really featuring their wares in this story. So um, traditionally, I think that Rob and I are in sync if I rate a little higher than him. <laughs> As he likes to say, I'm more generous, and uh, this is going to be a four-star book for me. It was great stuff. All right. Yeah, I think that just about fits. So uh, a little bit about timing. So this episode is dropping on June 29th, which is a Friday, and that is in anticipation of, of Nova Parade's July 1st release. Um, Livia, so you want to tell a little bit more about that? You know, what can I say? Uh, not only is it coming out in a couple of days, not only do you have the eight or nine, ten reasons we gave you to read it, but I'm going to give you another one. This is going to be provided as a PDF absolutely free. So uh, details I don't have. I'm going to assume it's going to be available through the Solar Side site, or at least there will be a link to maybe Smashwords or wherever else they're doing it. But you know what? Go get it from their website. Give them the hits. Give them the traffic. Let them see that the people are out there uh, looking at their site. They have short fiction available on there. You can scroll back through and read some pretty cool stuff. So uh, free, 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 free. And, and just between me and you guys, 
You don't have to read it as a PDF. Convert it over for your Kindle, and you can still read it. I was concerned because of some of the graphics that it wouldn't translate well. Read fine on my Kindle. Boom. There it is. Can't get better than that. Don't tell the people at Nova Parade I told you to turn their book into a Moby, though. Well, it's a good thing they won't be listening to this episode. They've probably tuned out by now. We did the rating, and then they know all we do is just talk, talk, talk afterwards. So Yeah, you know, and they're like, they got that old-timey guy nobody likes. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of which, um, has Skip made a recovery from uh, from his injury? Yeah, I'm happy to announce that uh, Skip, after uh, <laughs> like a week in the hospital, uh, getting over the fact that Calico Joe is still on the, the New York Times top bestsellers whatever list is uh is back he sent us his uh his book news for this week book news number 10 now we've had him around for 10 episodes of book news how exciting is that that's uh that's pretty cool it's like happy anniversary skip do you, <laughs> do you think he thought the same thing like i'm never gonna make it to 10 episodes i yeah <laughs> happy 10th anniversary well i told him if he got to five we were gonna put him on the about us page and um he got to five and he never gave me anything to put on the About Us page, so uh, I, I put a little placeholder in there so you can see his name and nothing else. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad to see that uh, Skip is back, and uh, hopefully some of the listeners are, are glad to hear him back. You know what I want to know is now it's now it's getting this thing. Like, I don't go and look at the New York Times bestseller list, so I depend <laughs> on Skip to tell me. And now, you know, the only thing I can think of is, is Calico Joe still on the best top five bestsellers? So here's Skip to let us know. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, the Library of Congress released its collection of 88 books that shaped America. When asked why they chose these books, the Library of Congress representative said, they hope to spark a conversation about the shape of America. Also, we picked only 88 books because it's the maximum the average American can pretend to know the plot of. On the list, there are some obvious choices like Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, Catcher in the Rye, and Malcolm X's autobiography. Other choices like a Bible and hieroglyphics, Ragged Dick and Mark the Match Boy, and Atlas Shrugged seem to be designed to make the conversation about the shape of America only happen between assholes. Now the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. Get ready to sip some lemonade. Dorothea Benton Frank's Porch Lights is number five. Fourth goes to Third Gate by Lincoln Child. Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn says bye to number two and is now number three. The Mission to Paris by Alan First is about Nazis and is number two. Finally, under doctor's orders, I'm not allowed to talk about number one because I'll have another aneurysm. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley signing off. All right, and once again, that was Skip Papersley with episode 10 of Book News. Glad to see him back. Glad to see he's uh, sticking to the doctor's orders. Yeah, well, you know what? I've, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I want to help Skip out. So I was thinking as part of his therapy, maybe we should just review Calico Joe on the show. Oh, like uh, like um, like when you have a phobia and you just confront it? To, yeah, to... exactly. Okay. Yeah. Can I start with reading the synopsis for Calico Joe, and we'll see how that goes with Skip? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Whatever happened to Calico Joe? It began quietly enough with a pulled hamstring. The first baseman for the Cubs' AAA affiliate in Wichita went down as he rounded third and headed for home. That's baseball talk, Rob. The next day, Jim Hickman, (laughs) the first baseman for the Cubs, injured his back. The team suddenly needed someone to play first, so they reached down to their AA club in Midland, Texas, and called up a 21-year-old named Joe Castle. He was the hottest player in the AA, creating a buzz. 
In the summer of 1973, Joe Castle was the boy wonder of baseball, the greatest rookie anyone had ever seen. The kid from Calico Rock, Arkansas, dazzled Cub fans as he hit home run after home run, politely tipping his hat to the crowd as he shattered all rookie records. Calico Joe quickly became the idol of every baseball fan in America, including Paul Tracy, the young son of a hard-partying and hard-throwing Mets pitcher. On the day that Warren Tracy finally faced Calico Joe, Paul was in the stands rooting for his idol, but also for his dad. Then Warren threw a fastball that would change their lives forever. In John Grisham's new novel, the baseball is thrilling, but it's what happens off the field that makes Calico Joe a classic. I gotta admit, I stopped paying attention like halfway. You through. stopped paying attention when I said this is about baseball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so um, that that keeps you know at the top of the bestseller list. I don't quite get it. There's got to be. I, I, I'm not even gonna try and figure out why. I mean, God, I know I know this is gonna sound really crap, but do people watch baseball read books? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they must. Some of them. Not all of them. I don't know. I feel like we're ta- I feel like we're those racist people that just like we don't know <laughs> about a race and we just like do they eat regular people food. Yeah. <laughs> do they eat anything besides hot dogs? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know anything about baseball. <laughs> and, and, and let's face it, as a hat expert, you know that a baseball cap is not the classiest hat you can put on, right? Not by far. By yes. not by far. And actually, I have an inside scoop. There might be a very nice article about hats coming up on Manarchy Magazine sometime soon. Oh, Manarchy Magazine. Its relaunch was, what, a week ago now? Roughly a week ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, just over has, a week, yeah. yeah. There has been um, content pretty much every day. I mean, there's a lot of new content on there and a lot of great stuff. Uh, article about hats, huh? Interesting. Yeah, that might be coming. Uh, <laughs> uh our friend Pelavia did one about uh, the femme fatale, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Manarchy, check it out. Yeah, so if you haven't headed over there yet, manarchymag.com. So Manarchy and Mag, like magazine, but shorter, so it's edgier. Shorter is edgier. Did you see what the latest article on there was? It, it went up earlier today. No. Okay. Peter Gudis, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, mm-hmm. played the drinking game that's in ZBMB and oh. writes about it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but how cool is that? Oh, that's awesome. So um, you probably heard David Keaton on the show talk about the the drinking game that he created. It's available at the back of the uh, ZBMB book. And uh, Pete Gudis, who apparently does has no common sense, decided that he would uh, take up that drinking game and, and try it. Got to give it up to Pete Gudis. He is just a man. I, I see his name like everywhere. He's he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. I guess. I don't know that he has anything to do with pies, but what do I know? <laughs> oh, that's awesome! There it is. I see it. Yes, that's exciting. I'm gonna read that after we're done here. I think I've already tuned out because I just started reading it because I saw it earlier <laughs> and I was like, I need to make a note. And I pulled up the web page to talk about it, and it's there. So I'm already into paragraph three. All right, well, let's wrap this up and we can go read Pete Gudis's awesome article. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. I'm Skip Papensy here to tell you that you can listen to book on iTunes, Stitcher, Instacast, Podcast.com, the Zoom Marketplace, and of course at BookedPodcast.com. 
Booked episodes are also broadcast live once a week from Clive Custis' submarine following his mud bath and laser hair removal treatments. Thank you. Might as well be walking on the sun. Tears because the baby's life has been revoked.